When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast from Sports Social. I'm Jim Salverson and we're ramping up to the weekend with a Friday podcast full of footy stuff. We've got controversial red cards to discuss as West Ham managed a 1-1 draw versus Lyon in the Europa League despite being reduced to 10 men just before half-time. What kind of position does that put them in for the second leg and a potential spot in the semi-finals? We're going to be kicking off the Premier League weekend as Wolves travel to the money-rich tax haven that is the northeast of England to play Newcastle, who on recent form could be slipping back into trouble in the Premier League. And speaking of Newcastle, will they get the chance to spend those untold riches as UEFA announced some tough new regulations about how much money clubs will be able to spend on players in the future? We're going to dig into the details on that new ruling shortly. To do all that, we have Marley Anderson, who will no doubt have an opinion on all that Newcastle-flavoured stuff. How you doing, Marley? Yeah, good. The, uh, the tax haven of, of Greg's, Greg's land is, uh, is the <laughs> one where everyone needs to be, so... All aboard the Greg's wagon. You say that actually, pastries and VAT. It's a controversial area, isn't it? A couple of years ago, Tories stuck a VAT on pastries and sausage rolls and whatnot when previously they were VAT free. So that's not as a ridiculous yeah. statement as you you, you think. Um, alongside well, if, Mar- if we went into all the things Tories tried to tax, we'd be here for <laughs> God knows how long. Not talking about football. <laughs> alongside Marley, we've got Joel Tudor on the podcast. How you doing, Joel? More than I'm good. I'm not a massive fan of pastry, so that's not a conversation for me. What? What? I'm not. I'm not a ma- not a massive fan of it. I'm. I'm just partial to it. So weird, Joel. Yeah. That's, how can you not enjoy like a? You can't. Well, you can't get a prawn or... in a sausage roll. That's what it is. <laughs> there we go, Marley. You use a whole bottle of sriracha every morning. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> right. Enough about the lunchtime habits of the Football Social Daily team, <laughs> and on to tonight's Premier League action. We'll look back at West Ham versus Leon in a little bit, but let's start with 
Wolves versus Newcastle or Newcastle versus Wolves, I should say. The first weekend, the first game of the Premier League, which is kicking off on Friday night. Now, let's start with you on this one, Marley, because Newcastle, they're in a poor run of form right now. But does it matter? Do they need to even turn it around? Or is it a case now between here and the end of the season of kind of ticking down the clock, waiting for the season to end and then dipping into that transfer war chest that Eddie Howe no doubt has? Uh, well, if if reports are to be believed, we're not going to spend that much money in the summer. Um, I think we're, it's probably going to work out that we spend more money last January um, than this summer if if these reports are true. But um, in terms of the, the form, I mean, we need to address it pretty quickly because I don't want to slip closer to the likes of Everton and Burnley scrapping for their lives. Um, I want to sit just above them, you know, sitting on a wall laughing at them uh, below us um, and watching watching Everton try and kick a ball five yards to each other without uh, without getting anywhere near the op- the opponent's goal. But um, the, form has, the form has slipped off, obviously, you know, nine games unbeaten and, and then three straight defeats that we're on now. Um, but I, th- I do think a large part of that is fatigue and travelling and the, the schedule we've had. I think we had four, ga- four away games in 11 days. Um, recently, I think we had Spurs, Chelsea, and Everton, and Southampton all the way. So not even, you know, short trips when you think of Southampton and Spurs and Chelsea. Um, so that that showed itself in the performance against um, against Everton, where the lads have been travelling and played the third game in in eight days or whatever it was, and then got beat in the ninety ninth minute thanks to that idiot. Coming on the pitch with a with a cable tie, cable tie in his neck to the post, um, so I think that is a large reason um, why we why we've slipped off, and then Spurs were just far too good for us um, on Sunday, so that was a, a, another bit of a blow. But getting back home is is big because our home record's been good under Eddie Howe. I think only only the top sides have beaten us at home, Man City. Um, have beaten us at home and I think a couple of others as well but all all up there all all teams that right up Leicester beat us at home for example I think um so yeah we need we need to just get back home and get back in in front of the crowd and in front of the TV cameras on a night where everyone knows that they'll be watching us because we're the only game on um and and try and beat Wolves who don't score too many and are missing two of the key players in in Ruben Neves and Raul Jimenez um, hopefully we can uh, we can shackle them and and take at least a point to try and take this uh, this relegation fight and keep it at arm's length. Do you think that's fair, Joel? Do you think it's down to fatigue, or do you think there's a touch of complacency that crept into that Newcastle team? They thought the job was done. Now they're just seven points above the relegation zone, so really need a few more wins. Do you think it was that case of right? It was easy for Eddie Howe to go in there and kind of get Newcastle scrapping for their lives, but once it felt like that job was done that motivation of players who had been poor up until that point becomes a little bit more difficult. Yeah, the work complacency definitely crept into mind. But then you look at the three defeats and two of them were against two of the top four, Chelsea and Tottenham. So I don't have too many kind of worries for them in that case. But the job's 100% not done yet. And I don't think it will be for another four or five games, to be honest, because... When you look at the teams below them, I know Everton can't hit a barn door at the moment and Burnley are slowly creeping up, but they've both got a game in hand. So if they can both win, well, Everton miraculously, then that only puts them three and four points behind Newcastle. So it's still, I think it's still very early days to say that Newcastle are home and dry yet because there's 
eight games in the final week uh, weeks of the season still a long way to go and we know that from previous campaigns the bottom teams end up doubling their wins from the season just through eight games of just completely going on another level in terms of performance um, and actually having something to fight for so it will be difficult for Newcastle because obviously Wolves have still got something to play for as well. They're, they, they're still in with a shout of potentially getting into the top six, top five, maybe even top four if, the, if all the cards fall in their favour. I was going to say, what do you think the potential is for Wolves? Is it, can they get to top four? Because it feels like they had that little blip, they've picked up a little bit, but it feels like top four slipped away from it. I think it's the same as the West Ham situation. They've got a very much outsider chance because obviously... Tottenham Arsenal and well maybe Manchester United are the ones you would say have got more of a a sure fit in terms of the the players that they have the squads that they have but honestly like I was mentioning in another podcast if they can get some kind of consistency going another podcast I mean another type of podcast with this I'm not cheating on you don't worry oh uh, hey. <laughs> was nearly coming for you then man I, I, I've not done a Tevez on you so it's alright uh, <laughs> on this podcast and another episode um, yeah we said that whoever can pull together a nice run of consistent form could scrape it and honestly Wolves uh, and even West Ham to be honest if either of those can pull together a good run of fixtures, um, considering the fact that Arsenal, Tottenham and Man United have still got to play a lot of the top four, then honestly, I would not rule it out at all. Um, and this is the only thing they have to play for as well, isn't it? Considering they're out of all the other competitions, so they'll have a fresh squad every single week. So who knows? But I mean, these are the games that will actually tell us. If you can't beat Newcastle away, uh, the other teams start pulling away from you, then you can kind of say, well, this is where you are in the season. But... Uh, they've done well this season. They've conceded barely any. Um, and everyone thought that Lars would be gone in the first few weeks after he got into the job. So I think regardless, it's been a really successful season for them. Marley, in Eddie Howe's press conference, he was talking about the future of Alan St. Maximum, who is the jewel in the Newcastle crown at the moment. He said that the player's long-term future was definitely at Newcastle United. Do you think that's the case? Do you think Newcastle have done enough to prove that this is where he can find the level of football he wants to play at? Particularly if you say the transfer spend over the summer is going to be more modest than what's expected. Uh, yeah, because to be fair, I think these questions have come from um, a bit of unrest in the fan base about his recent performances. It's, it's not about um, Alan Saint-Maximin being too good for us and, and attracting interest. It's been about his his impact on games recently. Um, and, you know, I think, I mean, it's, it's baffling to me because he's the best player I've, I've seen at Newcastle in, in years. Um, but some, you know, some fans are saying, oh, you know, he's not, he's not producing. He's not, he's not doing anything for us. And, you know, um, they're getting, they're getting a bit uh, in love with the money and, and thinking you can find St. Maximan every summer, whereas you, you can't find a player like him that's available for transfer for 20 million quid like he was. You can't do that every transfer window. There's not that many players out there that can do what he does for us. Um, so, yeah, with regards to him, I think anybody who's who's saying we, we might be better off without him needs their head shaking, um, to be honest, because our squad without him is weaker and our team without him is weaker. And I think when once we get our full strength team out, we'll see, um, we'll see what a what a player he is he's, he's he's had a few quiet weeks recently um he, but he he got a man sent off against Everton by 
purely because they were scared of him because he was on the break and Alan decided to just chop him um, and got sent off for it. And uh, he's he's still having an impact. It's just he's not scoring every week. And some of the fans are like, well, if he's not scoring, we'll buy someone who is who will score. And it's a bit it's a bit ignorant to uh, to the whole situation. Like you you've still got to get the best out of him. And, and Eddie Howe still will. Um, he he couldn't do anything against Spurs. But... Is it one of those scenarios where you've got a quality player that the other team are scared of? So there's extra attention on that player. And we see it. Yeah. With, I mean, it happened to Payet when he was at West Ham in the Premier League. He almost gets doubled up on and yeah. marked out of the game. But that then provides other players the freedom. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's it's not hard to notice when Alan Simaxman's having a quiet game is, is what's happening to him. <laughs> like You see him get the ball and straight away the left back is, is screaming or the right back screaming for the, for the winger to come back and help him or the centre back to come across. Um, to help him because he knows he's getting skinned and if he does get skinned then it's a, a case of can we chop him before he gets to the penalty area or into the final third and that's that's what a lot of teams do he, he comes out of after, after, he must have the strongest ankles of anyone because I've never seen a guy get kicked so much honest to god he must tip, him, tip himself to, the, to high heavens because he just gets booted around the pitch every Saturday or every Friday whatever it is um, so yeah he, he just needs to find a bit of form again. Like players like that in particular, like all players go through periods of form, but you know, wingers that dribble a lot, when they don't have a good game, like they don't provide much to the team, but that's just the case of wingers. Like if a centre midfielder has a has a pretty poor game, he still makes probably fifty or sixty passes in the game and he's still involved in stuff and he can still put tackles in even if he's not passing well. Whereas a winger and a winger like St. Maximan is all about dribbling, so if he's not creating goals all the time, it's easy to look at his performance and go, well, he was crap. And it's like, you, you, know, can't, you can't be mint every week. You can't be 9 out of 10 every week. Otherwise, quite simply, Alan St. Maximan wouldn't play for Newcastle United. He would play for Barcelona, he'd play for Real Madrid or Man City or someone like that. But because he's got the inconsistency, and he's 23, 24 years old, you know, he's still got that consistency to find. Um, and a full season of form to find. And once he does that, I think you'll be looking at um, a really, really good season where he gets 10 goals and 10 assists or something like that. In terms of transfer talk, I guess it's that type of year, isn't it? It gets to the end of the season, the window opens soon, everyone's talking about the future of players. And Bruno Large was also fielding questions about his players. He was talking about Ruben Neves, who won't make this game for Newcastle tonight. He's still out with an injury, as Marley said. But he was saying, this is a player that is worth £100 million. Now, your team, Manchester United, is one of the teams that's been linked with a move for Ruben Neves. Is he worth £100 million? Is he that good, Joel? He might be worth £100 million to them because of how good he is for them and how important he is for their midfield. But I, w- I don't think any team in the right mind would pay anywhere near that. Uh, but for United, if he was available for a good price, I mean, he is a massive upgrade on anything that we've got in the centre mid at the moment. And obviously, Paul Pogba probably probably will be moving on as well. So there's going to be a massive gap to fill. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's the same with Declan Rice at West Ham. Of course, he's not worth 100 million, but he is to West Ham because without him, there's a massive, massive gap and a massive void to fill, and maybe two or three transfers wouldn't even solve that. So, you can understand why they quote these figures. Um, but again, Neves is only what 22, 23. These guys are still young, and it feels like they've been in the Premier League for years, just because they seem to have so much experience and they seem to have adapted so well. 
Um, it was even a surprise when Wolves actually got Neves because he was amazing for Porto when he was younger. Um, so just the fact, well, I know that uh, George Mendes has got his fingers all over Wolves at the moment, but uh, even still, I think this will be the summer where he starts to move on now. I think he's hit his ceiling in terms of what he can do and what he can achieve there. But I think it'd be a great fit for either Arsenal or United, just because I think both of those sides need an upgrade in midfield. But whether the price is right, I mean, that's another story, isn't it? Because the, the clubs these days, this is the issue. Well, not an issue because it's good for them, but they have leverage now. They don't have to give away their star players because it's not like they need the money either. Um, so it is a good position for them, for those clubs, but I would definitely think that he would move on this summer at least. People forget that Wolves are, I think Wolves are the fifth richest club in, in the country. Um, they've got they've got billionaire owners. I think it's a Chinese tech or pharmaceutical company. One of them. Um, they don't put they don't put all that money into the club, but they do have it there if they need it. So, you know, yeah, they're and, good uh, for it, aren't they? They don't need any incomings from big transfers. It, it takes away that pressure yeah, to sell. It yeah, does, yeah. yeah. Um, but it would be perfect for Arsenal and, and Man United. I, I definitely agree. But then again, Arsenal started that little little spat with him when uh, when. <laughs> when Wolves played Arsenal and, and Arsenal won one nil, Wolves uh, never said it's like they won the won the Champions League or the Premier League, and then Arsenal clapped back at him. So, I'd, and I just thought, <laughs> just be nice to him and then try and sign him in the summer. <laughs> like, don't don't give me a reason to pick someone else over you because it's it's just counterproductive. It's interesting. There's a real value being put on that type of player at the moment, like Ruben Neves. I'd put him in a maybe a pot with the likes of Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice and they're really being seen as valuable propositions at the moment all kind of price tags of 70, 80, 90 million quid being put on their heads speaking of Declan Rice he was in action last night it was West Ham 1 Lyon 1 in the Europa League quarterfinal first leg some controversy in that game courtesy of the match officials and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. West Ham continued their European adventure, their road to the Europa League final last night. It was a home game versus Lyon. It was the first leg of the Europa League quarterfinal and it ended 1-1. But the big talking point wasn't 
any of the goals. It was a sending off for Aaron Cresswell. He was sent off just at the end of the first half within seconds of the whistle going for denying a goal-scoring opportunity. He took down Dembele, I think it was, just on the edge of the box. Kurt Zuma jogging back. Might have been there to cover, but probably... Well, was judged by the referee to be the last man, Aaron Cresswell, and he was given his marching orders. Was it a red card, Joel? Was it fair? And then tell me why it wasn't fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was confused at this. Every time I watch it, I was just so confused because one was the fact that I don't see how you can go down from a small touch on the shoulder. So I don't really see how it could be a foul in the first place. Surely he's seen that. He's gone down so easily. But then if you ignore the fact that that happened, um, he was going completely away from goal as well. His touch took him diagonally away rather than towards the goal. So it seemed as though, well, Zuma actually started to slow down in his running when he saw Cresswell come over. So maybe he had full confidence that he was going to win the ball off him. But I don't know, for me, I I just thought it was quite dubious. And the way in which the ref was throughout the game, I think kind of showed that it was, I don't think it was the right decision, in my my opinion. Um, I just thought that the foul was really soft. The, The fact that there was two of them back and the fact that he was going away from goal made it seem to me as though I don't think it deserved a red card. And it kind of just ruined the whole outlook of the game, to be honest. They probably changed the whole outcome, but... Um, I know that the rules are the rules and they, they seem to follow these new rules of if you've attempted to get the ball and it's last man, then it has to be a red card. But I don't know. I felt like it was just too close to call for that. So if it was, if that's the case, and I think it should have been maybe a yellow. Um, but yeah, it changed the whole outlook of what was going to happen. But West Ham managed to, considering the circumstances that they were in, they managed to really hold in there and obviously go a goal up as well. But I think it was... Yeah, I think it was a decision that was just very, there was very much a lot of question marks around it for me. I think soft pen, a soft red card would be the description I'd apply to it. For all the reasons you say, his touch had taken him away from goal. Zuma was coming back, potentially. Was it a clear goal-scoring opportunity that was designed by Cresswell? The, the, the foul was, it was a touch on the shoulder. So yeah, you've seen players go down from that kind of thing all the time, but was it, again, enough to bring him over? But at the end of the day, if it was the other way around... I would have wanted it given in West Ham's favour. I think what surprised me, Marley, about the whole thing was it wasn't referred to VAR. I'm sure there were checks done in the background, but in that scenario, you'd expect VAR to ask the referee to go and have a look at the monitor, particularly given his position was behind play. And surely to judge whether he was the last man or not in that scenario, he would have had to be level with play. Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose, but maybe he was just uh, you know, fully confident he was he got the right decision feel like he didn't need to but I suppose that is what it's there for and VAR might have talked to him and said you know it's not a clear and obvious error because you can perceive that as a as a last man red card um sort of challenge so yeah I'd I I'm sort of in the middle on this one because I do think he was last man and I do think there was enough contact to to stop him going through because he was running at such high speed that when you touch him, you probably did make the most of it. To be fair, but I think you're always going to in a in a semi final, in a a quarter final of a yeah of a big competition. It's it's uh, it tends to happen, you know. So um, it's football, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it was hard. So I'd be I'd have been fuming if I was a West Ham fan. But you know they they've still applied themselves really well and and could have won the game. It was only a um, a bit of a scrappy one that they conceded to to not take the lead to France next week. So. 
Um, there's still plenty there for West Ham. They're still very much in this game, and they applied themselves, you know, really, really well, and uh, were more than in the game um, to to sort of set them up for next week. I've got to say, when Cresswell was sent off, I had this weird feeling as a West Ham fan, and I was still confident that that team could get a result because it's a team that knows how to dig in. It's a team that knows how to be professional and it's a team that can break really well on the counter-attack. And it just goes to show the impact that David Moyes has had on West Ham as a manager that he's kind of changed the whole perception and ethos of a club, that we can be professional and we can be solid when when we need to be. Now, after the sending off, it was actually West Ham that ended up striking first. They changed the formation. They went to... Uh, brought on um, Ben Johnson to shore up the defence and kind of definitely sat back and went on the counter-attack and it was a goal from Jared Bowen that gave West Ham the lead in the first place. That's now two goals and two assists since returning from injury a couple of weeks back. It was the injury that kept him out of the England squad for those friendlies. 14 goals this season in total. That's four more than any other West Ham player. Surely, Joel, Jared Bowen now has to be in Southgate's thinking for the games leading up to Dubai if nothing else you would think so but then when Qatar, you saw the... either it's in Qatar the World Cup <laughs> not Dubai <laughs> I mean that would be nice as well um, yeah I think that it's well, when you look at the last selection that was brought out uh, for the last international break you just realise just how much competition is for those front uh, those front positions when you see Grealish Sterling um, Sancho uh, and then you got Rashford if he picks up form and then there's just so many options right now that you have to be at the absolute top and you have to say that Bowen has been doing that consistently for the last t- probably two seasons now um, so I would 100% say he has to be in the mix and if he's not called up for the next international break where Southgate can experiment a little bit more I'll be massively surprised um, I don't know if it's a case of the fact that because Southgate has such a fixated squad now and basically the plays that he's picked are pretty much all the way from 2018 all the way up until now. I'm not sure if he's worried about chopping and changing things too much because it seems like when he has a trust in his certain type of squad, he kind of sticks with it a little bit unless there's an absolute outstander um, who comes into the system and like performs ridiculously well. Uh, then I don't think I see him changing it up too much. But... I think I was really surprised when I saw West Ham going in, into the lead, to be honest. But it's like you said, uh, Jim, it's the fact that they've been able to grind out results and be able to continue regardless of the situation. So I think I do think, though, that it's going to be a massively missed opportunity. Obviously, they couldn't do anything with the red card. It happened, but going away to Lyon as well. But a good stat is that they've only, they've only uh, Lyon have only won one game at home since February. So they're not in the best of form. But I mean, going going away to a European stadium in the quarterfinals when their home fans know that there's so much on the line, it's going to be a, a really difficult game. But the good thing is that there's no away goal, so everything's still out in the open. It's basically just starting from scratch again, and they've done it before, so I'm sure that they can do it again. But yeah, Jared Bowen, I think if he's if I think Liverpool will be all over him in the summer um, if they need more reinforcements or if one of their forward players leaves. Uh, so enjoy him while you can, Jim. <laughs> no, he's not going anywhere. I don't think anyone will buy him, you know. I just, I think he'll be all right. Well, considering Luis Diaz just got bought, I guess there's not a massive need for him. Uh, but if Firmino leaves, potentially, yeah. then that might leave up a gap for another player. He can play that central role as well. Yeah, that's what I was really? thinking. He's, a, he's, he's adaptable. 
I'm not sure he's the right player for Liverpool, and I'd very much like it to see him stay at West Ham for the future. Uh, Joel says it's going to be tough but possible, I think, to sum up his opinion of West Ham's chances in Leon, David Moyes said after the game, the game is very much to play for, so that kind of sums up where he thinks it has. It's all in West Ham's hands. What do you think, Marley? How tough is it going to be for the Hammers taking that 1-1 draw back to France? Uh, I think it, it'll be tough, but not not impossible. Kind of like what you said. Um, it's not... You know, the away goals helps as well. The fact that you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to score um, more than one goal to to try and um, get yourself through and and things like that. Because you can always you can hang in the tie a bit more. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think they they matched up really well to to Leon. I think if that game was eleven versus ten, West Ham would have snuck it. Um, you know, probably one nil because they were looking pretty solid at the back. Um, and a few shots from distance and, and things like that, but not really that many clear-cut chances. Um, so West Ham will have confidence going into that second uh, second game in the in the uh, in France next season, uh, next season, next week, um, and they'll be they'll be right up for it. And it's you've got that carrot dangling in front of you of, of Barcelona or Frankfurt in the uh, in the next round, and then you you know you you one tie away from you know silverware for the first time in God knows how long pinch yourself stuff that for a West Ham fan that's enough about UEFA competition we're going to talk about UEFA rules next because they've just announced they've got new rules coming in that's going to limit club spending in relation to their club revenue it's going to clip the wings of a few hopeful European superpowers and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Hi, I'm David Eason from the all-new podcast Bet Bites here on the Sports Social Network, and this is what we do every weekend, having a look at the Premier League this week in under 90 seconds. Let's go. To start with Burnley, they may well have won against Everton in midweek, but yet again they conceded a couple of goals. The Clarets have let in at least two in each of their last five in the league, while Norwich aren't exactly goal-hungry, but they do score goals at home. Only City have kept them out in their last five at Carrow Road. Both teams to score there is even money. Spurs are 13-10 to win at Villa. They always win at Villa, 7 out of 7 in all competitions, each time scoring at least twice, something they've done in their last six Premier League games. Conte's men are flying, so 7-4 for a Spurs win and to score at least two looks pretty good. And Palace may have Chelsea in their sights at Wembley next week, but they've kept three clean sheets in a row and not lost in five away from home. Expect Conor Gallagher to take out his frustrations at not being able to play at Wembley. Take Palace plus a goal on the handicaps at 11-20, and that's an almost 7-1 treble. All this and more in Bet Bites this week. Have a search for us on the Sports Social Network. This week we're talking Rugby League, Formula One, the IPL, and yes, the Grand National. Each event in under 90 seconds, all done and dusted in 20 minutes. With the Bite Size Betting Podcast, we're Bet Bites. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your Friday show ahead of the weekend. This weekend, the dugout returns. It is Dean Hammond and Francis Benali on this weekend's shows, talking about the weekend's Premier League action with Niall, including their views on everything, including the relegation battles and what it's like to be at a club fighting for its future at the wrong end of the table. The dugout will be later on this channel. Just hit subscribe or hit follow, however you're listening, and you'll be able to find it in a few hours' time. But first, let's talk about UEFA. They've just announced new rules that are going to limit club spending on transfer fees, agents' fees and wages. In total, that spend can no longer be more than 70% of the club's revenue. Those rules are going to come in in June, but then clubs have three years to comply to reach that benchmark over a three-year period it's kind of like incremental basically we've talked for ages around how financial fair play isn't fit for purpose marlin it doesn't really do what it needs to do no doubt it needed addressing this is the first major change to ffp rules since they came in does it do anything to fix the problems that are there um maybe maybe for the short term but um as i've said for a long time there's always there's always loopholes. There's always way around, ways around things, um, and this will probably be no different. You know, you're looking at your seventy percent of of wages and stuff like that, and there will be things that don't quite factor into wages, like bonuses, for example, or um, certain fees to do certain things. And it might it might help in the short term, but once teams figure out how to get around it, we'll probably be back to uh, to square one again. I don't think. Um, the words "financial fair play" are just a uh, just a, a bit of a, a complete opposite, really. Like f- people with money don't want to play fair, and people without money <laughs> can't play fair. It's not, you know, it's you look at teams around the the country, and you see, um, you know, Man City and and Liverpool on the top side spending half a billion, and you see. You know, half a billion. I don't think Norwich have ever spent half a billion on their, on their squad. So there's always going to be, like the seventy percent is always going to be way higher than. It's not going to level the playing field. It's just going to maybe stop, um, you know, stop silly owners and like, uh, what's the word sort of, like unprofessional financial behaviour and running clubs at a loss, but. I don't really see the point in looking at it now because clubs have been run at a loss for, for 25 years minimum, probably more. You see big clubs around the world and they're all in debt. They're all losing money every every um, season because they're trying to chase success and they're willing to lose money because the owners can lose money. So it's not a it's not a business you would go into. You wouldn't come out of business school in, at university and go, do you know what's a good business to turn over money? A football club, you just never would, because you can. The only way to win is massive debts, um, and and cutting corners where you can, which don't break the rules, but do bend them significantly. We've seen that in in you know the past decade of of clubs getting um, getting fined and found and found out and and things like that, and you know um, loads of loads of cases of you know fake sponsorship money coming in and inflated fees for, for certain products that clubs don't need like official tyre partners and, and clothing partners and stuff like that There's, it's all money that's essentially being washed through football clubs but it doesn't uh, it doesn't break the rules right now so you know even this 70% wage to turnover thing it, it does help clubs run better but 
the the better clubs and the bigger clubs are going to be uh, looking for ways around it, and they'll find them pretty soon, I would think. Well, as you say, there are always ways around this kind of stuff. There's a report today coming out of Der Spiegel in Germany who broke the news about Man City being investigated for breaking FFP. They have announced news or an exclusive for them about a potential investigation by the Premier League into Manchester City around various things. One of those things being inflated sponsorship deals and hidden salary payments. Uh, It's all unfounded and unproven at the moment. That's the news coming out of Germany. In terms of this UEFA news at the moment, Joel, now the previous regulations. So we're going to move to this 70% of clubs revenue model. Currently, clubs can spend up to 5 million euros more than they earn over a three-year period. That can be broken, however, if a club's owner wants to make a contribution, a direct contribution or payment to the club of up to 30 million euros. So it's not a huge change in what we're currently seeing. So, I mean, I guess the the, the, the criticism here from the likes of people like Marley who want to see their team Newcastle pumping money into the squad is going to be if rich people want to spend money in their football clubs or on their football clubs as a plaything or as a sports washing exercise, whatever you want to call it, they should be allowed to do that. And this goes in no way towards solving that issue, I guess. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that stands out is the fact that they're basing it around the revenue. So I think we're going to see so much much more stadium naming rights or training ground naming rights or sponsorships that are from ridiculous areas of business just to be able to pump up these fees. Because as Marley said, they're going to fight every single club, especially the big ones who need the inflated kind of revenues because historically it's not been there for them. They're going to have to find a way to be able to pump these up, whether it's these contracts for players where they give them like ambassador contracts. And honestly, it's the same with agents where there's been talk of capping agents fees. Of course, they'll just encourage out of off the record uh, payments to different places. And I think it just encourages more and more money to be either taken out of football as we've seen a lot with for example free agents um and i think it just ends up becoming a bit of a war of who can develop more of a revenue stream and i I wouldn't be surprised if for example old trafford ends ends up getting a naming right as we've seen with the the new camp in barcelona that's going to be called the spotify new camp um which just kind of says everything you need to know about the fact that the the need for these figures they probably would have been told this in advance that they need to like comply with these new regulations prior to actually coming out so i think it's just the case of clubs now starting to prepare for that and be able to be firmly above that line that uefa is setting so they can freely spend as much as they want but as we've seen and there was another rule that just came out about potentially in the champions league having historic clubs be able to qualify i mean it all just contradicts itself, in my opinion. It's just the case of the 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 completely lambasted the Super League. Yet that is literally what they're creating, because they're preventing clubs from achieving it's their Super League. A place. That's the difference, Joel. Yeah, as long as they have the strings to the puppets, then that is fine with them, because they just don't want to lose control. And that was the first time that they had their control breached. But now they're slowly edging in all these small regulations, which means it keeps the Super Club clubs happy to stop them from trying to do it again. Um, and that's I think that's purely the way it's, it's going at the moment. It's just the fact that the, the sport washing it into a way which makes it feel like you're being rewarded based on this, this and this, but it's absolutely ludicrous because, as they literally said, clubs should be able to be in European competitions based on their 
performances in their leagues and historically that's ridiculous it's in the past so uh yeah I, you know what uefa fifa they have my utmost non-trust and i don't trust any of them with any of these plans and 100 it benefits one party over the other is that the situation marley that joel's outlined there is this once again an attempt by the european governing bodies to protect the super clubs protect the guys who already have a place at the top table and prevent those smaller clubs who have aspirations to join the elite being able to pull up a chair yeah probably um i don't see this this obsession with trying to change change the game trying to change the champions league i don't think it's it's not broken and if it if it isn't broken don't fix it it's very clear what you've got to do to get into it it's very clear what you've got to do to win it um you know it's better than it was when there used to be two group stages um because there's more knockout games and it's more exciting. The away goals thing going has, has changed it slightly, so we're still reserved on that. Don't really know how that's going to go because you know, one season isn't really enough to to um, make a judgment on it, but it's... I don't see the point in that. That makes no sense. It's like, why you might as well just have one game. If you're going to do away with away goals, then why have two legs? Just so you can see, get more money and see more, <laughs> yeah, exactly. more TV rights, more games, more more home advantage as well, I suppose. Um, but does it not benefit West Ham when they play Leon next? Because let's say the away goal rule was in and they just earn a one or draw. The way in which they'll play at home will be totally different to how they'll play now, where they could literally drag out the whole game not even try and attempt to attack West Ham. But now that it's level playing fields, West Ham can literally go there and not worry about having to grind out or chase the goal because it's not really needed as well in that case. Yeah, it does It does advantage West Ham, but I don't think necessarily as much as I'd like it to. I don't think UEFA should adapt all their rules to, to benefit West Ham, although that would be quite cool. <laughs> uh, I th- but maybe maybe you're right. Maybe All it's, goals um... scored by Jared Bowen count double. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just a case of as you say, kind of preserving attacking football so one team doesn't have the option to shut up shop necessarily and protect a a 1-0 away goal lead. But we're getting slightly off topic there, Marley. Sorry, we interrupted you. Um, Well, I don't know. That's it, really. I think... um... You forgot what you were saying, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah, but... if Look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't don't think anything's Mm. broke with football right now. Um, I don't like the... the big boys saying, um, you know... We don't want these little minnows playing our game. It's it's very um, uh, I don't know what the word is like exclusive, um, and I, it's not right. It's that's not football. It's anti competition for me. So it's you know the likes of Agnelli and all these muppets. It it seems to be coming from Italy. To be fair, Italy and Spain because Italy are the ones where you know Juventus is slipping slightly. So Agnelli's proper pushing it because he wants Juventus protected. Um, and then you get support from the absolute circus that is Spanish football ownership and, um, and people like that who are coming in and saying, yeah, this is actually quite good, you know, because we'll be protected by that. Barcelona and Real Madrid, for example. But they should never be out of the Champions League anyway because they, they should be qualifying for it through, through being the best two teams in Spain. So I don't really see this clamour for the for, for change um, and I don't think it should, it should be entertained I think it should just be flat out ignored and if one club wants to say right well we're not playing this we're going to start our own league just say okay off you go we won't miss Juventus anymore and Juventus will go away and be, be something else and be their own thing but we're keeping our competition and it works so 
don't fix it. My hunch is that this is not the only rule change around FFP that will be introduced. There will be further restrictions and further changes to what's going to happen. And also on top of the financial change, the 70% of club revenue limit being introduced, the punishments have also changed as well. Now the UEFA can dip into, if people try and circumnavigate these rules, points deductions, demotion to lowest ranking competitions and potential exclusion from European football completely as well. So fairly heavy handed if these rules are breached. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Marley Joel, thank you very much. Don't forget you can check out previews of all the Premier League game. You can listen to match previews and match reaction via our social media accounts. The best place to find us is at the Sports Social on Twitter or you can search Sports Social Official on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.